Fayetteville. How are we? I have missed you. I've been off for like three or four weeks. Uh, been been stuck at home the last couple weeks. Uh, me and my wife, we've been a little under the weather, and so it just it just so is refreshing for me to be back and and with you this morning. Uh, I'm just thankful for this time. As as we were doing our our run through this morning. I was like, man, my soul needed this. My soul needed to be back with uh, the people that I love in leading. And for those of you who don't know who are new this morning, my name's David. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm just really grateful uh, for this morning. Um, this past couple weeks, I was, like I said, I've been stuck at home. And uh, whenever you're alone at home, a lot of, in a lot of downtime, some pretty big questions tend to pop into your mind. And um, I don't think there needs to be much said about the state of, of our world and the things that we're seeing on the news. And I had this thought, and my thought was, Lord, are you still there? Are you still in control? Are you still good? Do you still see what's going on? All the pain, all the hurt, all the mistrust. And I had that thought over this past week, and I was reminded of a passage that has been close to my heart over the last year, and I've actually, in, in my office, it's taped right in, in front of me, and it's Colossians chapter one, and this is what it says. It says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And this part right here is, is really what has stuck with me. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might be, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I don't know about you, but the question of, Lord, are you still there? If you've, have, if you've been walking with the Lord for any time, I'm sure there's been a season where you've asked him that question, and the answer is he is still there. He's still on the throne, and it's still him that's in control. He controls all things. And so this first song we're going to sing this morning, I want you to pay attention to the words that we're going to sing in it. And if you know it, sing it with me.
this morning and sing this. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into and through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my
Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name.
Lord. 
glory, glory. remind you of a few things as we get started this morning. Um, the first thing is we have an incredible women's ministry team. And on February the 2nd, Lord willing, in this room, space with masks, um, they're going to be working through a study of Psalm 23 together. And so Lori McMillan, Jenny Mishnah, and Margot Bodishball, they serve in that capacity to shepherd our women. And uh, if you haven't signed up for that or you're looking for a way to get connected um, two opportunities with women's small groups, that'd be a great first step. And so go online and sign up for that. Uh, secondly, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and it's tradition around here that we partner with Loving Choices in their baby bottle campaign. And given the nature of our attendance and the way we're spread out and the number of people coming, we thought it would be best to delay that to a later time so we could best benefit them in their initiatives here in Fayetteville and in Rogers. And so um, they do an amazing job serving on the front lines um, with families and young mamas and daddies who are trying to figure out from a resource standpoint how to make a decision whether or not to have their baby. And so in their effort to play their part in turning the tide on the 61 million babies whose lives have been taken since 1973, this is what they do, and we love what they do in our town over here on Duncan Street um, by the high school, and I wanted to take some time in light of that and just pray for their ministry and ask God to be gracious to them this year. Would you do that with me? Well, Father, uh, thank you for the work of your son on our behalf to give us uh, grace, to give us abundant life, and thank you for the work that you do through uh, loving choices. God, I pray that you would grant them um, just a sense of your presence in their mission. I pray that you would energize them. I pray that you would empower them with your spirit. I pray that you would um, fund all of the initiatives they have planned for 2021. And Father, I pray that you would use them to point us to life. And we celebrate life this morning and your work in and through them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are new with us, uh, my name is Clark, and I serve as one of the pastors here. If you're watching um, on our live stream, it's great to have you as part of our church family this morning. And uh, we are doing something a little bit different as we kick the year off. We're going to be in Joshua beginning next week. Um, but for our purposes uh, this morning, we're going to wrap up a series that we started in the first week of the year on race and ethnicity. And looking at a biblical response to issues of race and ethnicity. And to be honest with you, I'm just going to confess to you this morning, um, I have experienced the emotion of fear this week. The fear of saying the wrong thing in the wrong way. Um, I've experienced the sin of wanting to please man rather than God. Have you ever been there? Well, I've experienced those emotions, and I felt like that I have walked 
not in faith, but I've walked in fear some this week as I've wrestled through this. And so what we want to do is take the scriptures and walk through what is to be our response when it comes to issues of race and ethnicity. And so it'd be helpful if you have, uh, if if this is your first time to go back and listen to our first two sermons to provide context for what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, One of the things that uh, drove me to ask our team, hey, could we do something like this, was this past summer, with the things that were going on in our greater cultural narrative, I realized that we didn't have as a church a common language to even have this conversation. And as I talked with different followers of Jesus, everybody was pulling from some video they watched or some book they read or something they heard when they were a kid. And and there was was not this common language. And so I wanted to provide a biblical language for this discussion. I realized that this wasn't a political issue or a social organization issue, but inside the church, it was a discipleship issue. Uh, There was some unknown about how to follow Jesus in the area of race and ethnicity. And so that's our attempt these last three weeks and today uh, to do that for you as our church family. Michael, in the first week, he introduced us to this idea that we continue to always come back to around here, this idea of the image of God. The image of God defines our personhood more than anything else. And then he helped us see this idea from Genesis 10, the table of nations. And so he helped us understand that outside of the image of God, People were most identified by the land they were from, the language they spoke, the clan or the family they were a part of, and the nation or the ethnos that defined them. So he gave us biblical language for this idea of why I've included the phrase ethnicity with this idea of race. Um, He then helped us see that um, when we walk against God's will in this space, racial division is a move backwards towards Genesis 11. Uh, when the, at the Tower of Babel, the languages were scattered across the globe. Racial unity is a move towards the promise of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the promise made to Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed and in his lineage would come a savior, the king His name is Jesus, and he would bring people together with this message of the gospel. James Hawkins, Dr. Hawkins, was with us last week, and he helped us see that God's restoration through Jesus also pertains to the healing of the damage caused by sin, the sin of racism and prejudice. And so he helped us understand that while um, Jesus saves us, In our hearts, the application of that good news in that gospel, it has a it has a um, an effect, an impact on our relationships with one another. It's a simple idea, but it is transformative if you understand it. He walked us through a handful of terms. He helped us see that technically, the Bible um, it informs us of one race, the human race. And that race, by definition, is actually a social construct that was designed to oppress others based on skin color, okay? It's one of the reasons I prefer to use the word ethnicity while I acknowledge the use of the word race as well. He helped us see that culture 
comes with ethnicity and race. It's a set of customs or beliefs or expressions, and those impact how we treat others. And then the idea of justice and reconciliation, just the simple idea that we're trying to get back to what God intended before the fall when we would treat one another with respect to them being created in God's image. And that's what we're after when we talk about justice and reconciliation. So how are we to respond? That's our purpose today. How are we to respond with what we've been given these last few weeks in the scriptures? And I've stolen this idea from a pastor up in New York named Rich Velotis. And um, Rich serves at a church that some of you may have read Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Well, he's the pastor at that church that Pete Scazzaro used to lead. And, um, and so I was listening to um, a teaching that he did, and he walked through these six ideas as a way to have a holistic discussion in this space. We've primarily looked at the first one here. Today we're going to walk through the other five and try to help us with a grid on how to apply what we've learned. And so as we begin today, what I want to do first is I want to address the heart. Because one of my fears that I have, hopefully it's a healthy fear out of reverence for the Lord, is that Fellowship Fayetteville would engage in some outward behavior modification moment that's not rooted in internal spirit change affected by God's word and thus making us Pharisees or those who have outward morality without inward change. And so I don't come to you this morning assuming that just primarily because we're a white, right, skin color congregation that this room is full of racists or those who act in active prejudice. But I do come to you as your pastor fully aware that I'm a broken sinner and a secure saint simultaneously and that I have blind spots myself and that my heart is capable of being deceived into thinking that I can't commit these sins. And so it's important that we get our heart right if we're going to apply the scriptures. Mark 7 says that it's from within, out of the heart of man, that come evil thoughts. And he goes on and lists a variety of other sins, one of those being slander. All these things come from within and they defile a person. In Jeremiah 17, the prophet says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand. Stand it. I can tell you who can understand it. The Lord can. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In the Proverbs, we're reminded that we're to guard our heart with all vigilance. We're reminded that the Lord weighs the heart. We're reminded that the heart of man reflects the man. And then this is my prayer for me um, this morning. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see, and this is the, the, the prayer I'm asking the Lord, and I would ask him to do this in a lot of areas of my life. Lord, see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I must own my own violation of God's word and walk in the grace of the gospel. I know I've sinned in my heart the last year in this area. With my words and my thoughts, I've sinned against people of other ethnicity. I've actually sinned against people of my own ethnicity as well in this dialogue. 
And I know that some of this anger was not rooted in God's perfect justice accomplished in the cross and Jesus' resurrection. Have you? Have you sinned in your heart and with your words and in your mind in this area? Have you had thoughts that weren't in line with the gospel as you've watched the news, as you've read a Facebook or an Instagram post, as you've responded to someone on Twitter? Or maybe uh, it could be something subtly worse is that you've grown in apathy and indifference because of the distance of what we see and hear in our culture. It doesn't seem like it's near us. And so there's this compassion fatigue maybe that has settled in. Uh, Maybe because of the perception of someone that you have based on the color of your skin, if you're like me, there's been some sin in your heart and you have a tendency to prejudge others and self-justify like I've tried to do, just how right I am. And so we start with the heart this morning as our foundation for engaging these other areas. And so I want to acknowledge these five other areas to give you practical things to consider, to understand, so that we can practically engage others in this area. Um, the, the guy that married me, Tim Howington, he told me at our ceremony as Pam and I uh, were making our vows just over 26 years ago this past Thursday. And uh, He told me, he said, Clark, you need to enroll in the University of Pam so that you can understand and see the world through her eyes. And I've barely gotten out of 101, she would probably say, and I need some graduate work. But the idea of understanding is seeing the world through someone else's eyes. And so we're going to try to do that a little bit this morning. James touched on this briefly when we consider where we've been as a church historically Not Fellowship Fayetteville necessarily, but the church universal as a whole over the last few centuries. We can at least say this, that individuals both outside and inside the church, people who claim to be followers of Jesus, are specifically responsible in their generation for acts of hate, anger, injustice, malice, partiality, and prejudice to those whose skin color was different from them based on skin color. We know that's historically true, and it's been practiced not only in the United States, but also inside the church, and it happens worldwide in other race situations and ethnicity situations. They're responsible for their own sin, and so as your pastor, I'm not holding you responsible for the sins of a previous generation. But what I am willing to acknowledge is that we must own our own response to the scriptures in our generation. And if we find sin there and we continue to practice things that maybe our forefathers practiced, that we would turn and repent from those sins. We must own our own generation's responses. Past sins have occurred and we may still continue to experience present consequences. When we consider the sociological implications um, in applying uh, what the scriptures teach us, uh, sociological data is just it's the demographic information that we need to pay attention to. What is true of our city that we must respond to in this space? And if you remember in the first week, I helped us see our basic demographic here in Fayetteville, 79.5% of those of us make up the white community, 8.5% of us 
uh, make up the Hispanic Latino community. Um, seven and a half percent of us make up the black community, three and a half percent the Asian community, and then we have over 1,400 international students from 109 countries that center in and around the university area, which makes for a really interesting city in a city that I'm proud to be a part of. But, you know, behind those numbers are actually real people with real stories who are trying to live, work, play, raise their families in a community where they are the minority culture. That's our demographic setup here in Fayetteville as we think through this lens. And then there's the interpretive uh, nature of sociological data. And this is where I'd like to encourage us as a church, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, to, I wanna encourage you towards discernment here. Uh, as you consider sociological data, you ask the questions, how and why are these numbers the way they are, and are they true? My concern as a pastor is that from both Christian and non-Christian sources, we have allowed unbiblical ideas to invade our space. Every culture has to discern inside the church what they let in and what they, um, what they keep out. And so I would exhort you towards biblical discernment in this space. Specifically, the world system defines people through social, class, and power structures. That is not the way of the cross. Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I would encourage you in that posture that when you consider sociological data in this space and you consider the stories in that space to focus on primary sources in context when you download media, when you read books, even Christian books. Be careful not to let a book written by a human author be your only lens for interpreting data. However, and this, is a, this is a great reminder for me as the Lord was dealing with me in this space. Sometimes ideology can get in the way of historical facts and make you think that something is true that technically isn't. At the same time, we can also be blinded by data and fact and miss real empathy for people who have experienced pain, hurt, and loss. Uh, this is maybe a helpful grid for you as you um, think through this and you think through content that you take in. Is that content, is it helpful or hurtful? Is it unifying or dividing? Is it building or guilting? Is it framing or shaming? The idea being, does it frame the bigger narrative and all the inputs of data, or is its primary intent to Shame in the guilt-ridden behavior modification change? Does it frame the bigger narrative? And so as to not forget the sufficiency of Scripture as being our ultimate filter, consider John 17, 17, where Jesus is praying for his followers. Sanctify them in or by your truth. Set them apart for your purposes, Lord, by your truth. Your word is truth. We're reminded in 2 Timothy 3, 16. 
17 and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The scripture is sufficient as a filter even in the area of sociology. So we wanna make sure that that is part of our grid. But now to the work of the what now, or how can we respond specifically? An ecclesiological response, what's the church's response? I wanna use James 2 to kinda set this up for us this morning. What is the church's response? James says, my brothers and sisters, verse one, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show Favoritism. The ESV uses the phrase partiality. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but to the poor man you say, stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated or made distinctions is what the NAS and the ESV say. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. The principle here is pre-judging someone, in this case, based on outward appearance, and in their case, rooted in a socioeconomic factor. They're making a judgment based on someone's outward appearance. He goes on to say in verse 8, if you keep the royal law of scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, rooted in the great commandment, you are doing right, but if you show favoritism or partiality, now hear this church family, if you do that, be it in your mind, be it in your heart, or be it in action, or with your words, you sin. We've gotta own our own sin in this space. And you are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of us, all of it. Um, but First Timothy 5 also says, uh, as Paul is trying to instruct Timothy on how to set the church up and how to treat one another inside the church and care for one another, he says this. He says, I charge you to keep these rules I've given you without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. And then uh, Luke's, account of the great commandment when they say, hey, well then who's my neighbor? He actually tells them a story of a Samaritan who was good, if you will, and took care of someone, reminding us that our neighbor may be those who are someone from a different region or country, a different skin color. Those people are our neighbors independent of whether or not they're a believer in Christ or not. They are our neighbor. He goes on to say in 1 John 4 that we love because he's first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Forever does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have um, not seen. He's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. This idea of hate that's used specifically refers to a strong dislike or ill will towards someone that turns into um, actions that reveal opposition, someone who would detest someone or despise contact with a person, can bring verbal or even 
physical harm. And so the biblical language of this sin family, if you will, of racism, the biblical language are the sins of partiality, of favoritism, of hate, of prejudging. It's where we get our idea of prejudice. So, church family, what does it mean to love then? And again, I want to go to the words of Jesus here. This is my commandment in John 15, that you love one another, even as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Love in the scriptures is always sacrifice for the benefit of another. Sacrifice for the benefit of another. It's rooted in John 3, 16, where it says that God so loved the world that he gave. He sacrificed for the benefit of us, his children. And I'm reminded of our mission in our response to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas in the world. And it makes me wonder if our church is faithful in pursuing our mission in our city among the 20 and a half percent of those who aren't primarily like us, then this endeavor, this mission should include all peoples that God's placed in our city. And it takes sacrifice like Jesus did to willingly and intentionally engage in the places of discomfort to build restorative relationships along ethnic lines. This is what I call the incarnational model of ministry. Jesus came and dwelt among us. Formational, these last two areas. The formational question asks this, who do I need to take responsibility to engage in with this conversation? You see, we can watch and we can read and we can study, but understanding and engagement, just like it does in other relationships, happens when you find yourself across the table from someone or in their life. Is there someone that God has placed in your sphere of influence of a different ethnicity that you could get across the table from and see the world through their eyes? Most of us, including myself, we roll out of bed with a bent towards narcissism and a tendency towards blanket generalizations. And it's helpful to ask good questions and see the world through others' eyes. This past summer, I had the opportunity to listen to the story of a couple of uh, young men in the black community. And one young man was just celebrating the opportunity and the gifts that God has given him in this season of his life and how God's been gracious to him with his work and how grateful he is um, to be an American and to be here in this community. And uh, I said, well, tell me about your, tell me your life story. And he walked me back. Um, through his growing up years um, in South Arkansas. And he had a mom who worked like crazy, multiple jobs to provide for their family. And he had a, a white woman take him in and help raise him in partnership with his mom. But he walked me through some distinct stories to where he felt explicit the explicit pain of racism or ethnic hate being falsely accused solely based on the color of his skin. And he's walked in forgiveness since that time. And he's experiencing 
freedom, but that's part of his story. It's the way he grew up seeing the world. Another young man shared with me that his parents had to remind him, based on where he was, that it's always wise when you go into a store to walk in with your hands out of your pockets. I've never thought about that. But when I got on the, across the table from this young man, he helped me see the world through his eyes. He has to at least consider that as a wise move before he, and as he walks into a store, I got to sit in a small group, a group of women. Many of you were part of fellowship, are part of Fellowship Fayetteville, and in a multi-ethnic way, they met in a small group for 10 weeks and processed their own sins of prejudice and hate and racism, and they worked through that together. I got to hear stories through their eyes. So who will you engage and where? Your place of employment, a social organization, uh, someone in your neighborhood, your child's school, a part of a youth sports team, part someone in the band with your child, uh, someone that's connected to um, the arts that you engage in. We've always said around here that the gospel travels best through the road of relationship, and so let's take it a step further. Maybe some of you could invite someone of a different ethnicity into your community group, not to visit, but to be a part of it. It's a good idea. Maybe your men's or women's group this spring could, could engage in an ongoing discussion of this topic. In fact, I brought with me 10 copies of our discussion guide from these three sermons to kick the year off. And so if you wanted to use that as kind of a content or a conversation starter, be a great resource. Come see me after church if you want to get a copy of that. You can also get those online as well. Some of us might be good to visit a church, another congregation in our city that is primarily made up of a different ethnicity. Some of you might find it enjoyable to go to church with one of your friends that attends St. James here in Fayetteville a primarily uh, a congregation made up in our black community. I know a few years ago, I went to the Chinese church over by the high school and got to experience worship in the way they see the world. It was interesting. What they do with guests, if you guys want to try this here, is actually have guests stand from where they're sitting and introduce themselves. It was very intimidating. And, but it was a different world, the way they do community inside their local church experience on Sunday morning. Some of you in your business or company, maybe you could offer a scholarship program or provide internships designed to invest in those of different ethnicities. It's your business. You could be creative there, serve as a mentor with Potter's House kids, pursue involvement with our international community through Furniture Friends. They provide furniture for those um, uh, who come here to study. Um, some of you could get involved in ISCA's meal program, where they provide meals for international students on Tuesday nights. No doubt, Kevin and Cynthia Smith that lead that ministry. My guess is in the last 30 years, they've sat across the table or had in their home more people from more ethnicities around the world than anyone in Fayetteville because they believe that all people were created in God's image. And then finally, the fun one, what does this look like in engaging the public sphere, the political sphere? Some of you may feel compelled or called to speak into this, this space more than others. In Micah 6, 8 beats in your heart, and you want to um, 
You want to do justice and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God in this space. And I would encourage you to be salt and light in that space. This is it. This is the deal. No country is immune to injustices or biases in their system of law. All countries in the history of the world have struggled with those things. And while I love the way our country works in that space and the checks and the balances, there are no doubt little nuances of those things that you may be called to engage in and affect gospel change that's rooted in Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection to address those broken systems. And this is just my final reminder. If you're going to engage in this space, uh, I'll give you the, um, what I would call the four principle, Colossians 4, Ephesians 4. Uh, we're reminded to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. We're reminded to let our speech be seasoned with grace, uh, seasoned with salt, a gracious tone so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're also reminded that we're not to let any corrupting talk come out of our mouth, but only that kind of talk that is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. It goes on to say, if you're not going to grieve the spirit, then you need to confess or put away these specific sins of the mouth. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Let those things be put away from you along with malice. If you're going to embrace and act, be active in that sphere, this is the tone I would ask you to have in the family of God. That's a good principle for all of us, right, in this space. It's a great reminder. There's a lot, there's a lot I've given you this morning, and I would like you to take the next um, few minutes and just reflect on your own heart uh, and your own heart's response to the things that have gone in, uh, on in our nation over the last year as it relates to race and ethnicity. And if you find yourselves in a place where you don't feel like you're engaged in an active prejudice or racism or partiality or hate, then I want to celebrate with you that you're walking in obedience to what the scriptures have for us. If you find in your heart that you've sinned in that space, I want you to use this time as we prepare for communion to confess those sins, to repent from those sins, and to ask the Lord, Lord, what and who would you have me initiate with? Uh, you see, one of the implications of the gospel, which is really cool, is that I was once an outsider as a Gentile, and that the gospel and Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, his ascension and his ongoing ministry in my life was given to me a non-Jew, given to me a Gentile, and he brought me in and adopted me into his family. And now I have experienced the promise of salvation through Jesus and the unity that he prayed for in John 17 and expressed in Ephesians 2 is a unity he wants for all of us as a family of faith. And so for the next few minutes, uh, many of you already have your communion elements with you. Um, you can open those um, and prepare those elements as we continue to worship and reflect. And then I'll come back up and I'll walk us through taking communion together. Father, thank you for the goodness of your word to instruct us rightly this morning. God, I pray that you would give us uh, discernment, um, give us empathy, compassion, understanding, 
Uh, God, I pray that you would help us see the world through a gospel lens um, in this area of race and ethnicity. God, I pray that you would grant us um, the freedom to be uh, both broken sinners and secure saints in this space. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
this together we turn our eyes
Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I Family, it's been good walking through this series with you together, uh, no doubt. And may we see it as an opportunity to follow Jesus, not just in our heart, but um, in our actions. And so, um, as we consider uh, Jesus' desire for unity in his church, inside his family, we consider uh, the one who came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. His body broken for us, take. His blood shed for us that we might have life and that we might experience the freedom to love others as he did, sacrificing for the benefit of one another. His blood shed for us. Take Fellowship family, if this beginning of the new year has found you in a place where you're in need of prayer, just so you know, our prayer room is available, and uh, we'd love to make that available to you this morning. Ray and Misha Wagner are back there to your right this morning if you need prayer um, for something. And uh, we're excited for our new series next week as we begin the narrative of the Old Testament book of Joshua together. Um, I love you, church family. We're excited that you've chosen to worship with us today. Have a great week, fellowship.